Hello, this is Hardin Coleman, faculty director for the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. You're listening to the very first season of Caring, Character, and Community, the Center's podcast. In this season, we will focus on learning from leaders about how they integrate the ethic of caring, they focus on their own and others' character development, and a commitment to serving the needs of the community in order to guide and inform their leadership decisions in times of crisis. A major part of the CCSR's mission is to facilitate conversations among educators, community organizers, and engaged citizens around the challenges of creating conditions in our schools and communities that will allow all our children to flourish. This is part three of our inaugural season, which will focus on bringing you the perspective of four youth-serving community-based organizations. Today, in in this episode, we'll be having a conversation with Alex Oliver-Dabla, who is the Executive Director of the uh, uh, Sociedad Latina, which is focused on creating the next generation of Latinx leaders. So Alex, thank you so much for uh, uh, spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your organization and and what you're trying to achieve and and a little bit of its history. Yeah, absolutely. So Sierra Latina has been in existence since 1968, and it's actually the oldest Latino youth organization um, dedicated to predominantly working with um, Latin youth. And we work with young people beginning in middle school all the way through post-secondary. Um, we're providing a coach for two years, either for college or career. Um, and we also have a very strong alumni program. And our program focuses on work readiness, skill development. It provides support in all the major transitions from middle school to high school, high school to a college or career. We focus on civic engagement and we focus on arts and culture with really celebrating um, culture, particularly Latinx culture and language. Um, And our goals are really that young people graduate with uh, high school with next steps, um, either into college or career, um, that they're civically engaged um, and that they have work readiness skills and experience to be able to enter the workforce. Mm-hmm. Great, very exciting work. And as you know, the, 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 that, that combination of college and career readiness and civic engagement is something that the, this, this center is very interested in kind of uh, exploring ways to uh, help, help that grow across all, all many, many years. So we've, we're, we're not at the end of the two years of incredible disruption uh, driven by the pandemic. People say the, the, the twin pandemics of, of uh, the COVID and racism uh, coming to grips with deep polarization in our society, uh, recognition of massive uh, inequalities, and also um, some significant indifference, if not aggressive responses against uh, changing our society to be more um, uh, equitable, open, and inclusive. And, and we're in the middle of a mayor's race right now where a lot of those issues are, are percolating. Um, and uh, we know we have, we have a few more years to go. So in that time, can you share with us some of what this crisis has meant for you and how's it affected your work and the lives of the um, youth with whom you're working? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think that um, I would say that for people thinking that this is done and we're over, 
Um, I think there's going to be many, many years of recovery, particularly for the immigrant communities, Black communities, um, Latin communities, and just underrepresented communities who we know about the income inequality. Massachusetts is the number one state for income inequality for Latin families. Mm-hmm. Um, our organization, as usual, we have pivoted. There's so, been so many instances. Uh, when Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, we actually turned our entire building into services for families who came right off the plane with their kids and were able to get um, support in filling out FEMA forms, enrolling their student um, in school, getting SNAP, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So similarly, um, we pivoted right away and we were able to provide families. Uh, we were ready to give every student a laptop and Thankfully, Boston Public Schools did that, so that was great. Um, But everything from A to Z, I think when we first um, had the shutdown, talking with families on a weekly basis, asking, um, what do you need? Where are you at? What is happening? Um, We we work with uh, many undocumented families, so I think the number one thing was really being able to get um, monetary resources. So we gave away actual dollars um, and we did that before there were any dollars that were being given to organizations to give out directly. We were able to send food home to families. Um, We sent um, kits uh, of music. So we have a music program. We sent all of our young people in the music program instruments, ways that they could record. We sent uh, STEM kits home. We have a STEM uh, program so that students would have things hands-on. We sent masks, um, A to Z. And we were in constant contact with all of our families, just providing those very basic needs. And then we were also part of coalition. So we were part of the immigrant uh, Mass Immigrant um, Collaborative, which is a statewide collaborative. And we were able to raise about $6 million to give out to undocumented families. And at tons and tons of, of food as well. Um, and then we did things uh, like have uh, vaccine. We worked with CIC, who was the big provider uh, in the state. And we were able to um, share with them, like where are the best places to actually set up vaccine tents. We were able to bring community members, make appointments, get them there, provide translation. We're part of the Latino network also, which is all the Latino led organizations uh, in Boston. We put together number of vaccine clinics. We had webinars for families that were bilingual about the actual vaccine. We did a lot of on the ground early work, just giving out masks, giving out information and just keeping uh, people abreast. So we did every, all of those pieces and still had program. Um, So we still worked with young people and we were remote. Um, Now we're hybrid, Um, but really whatever it took to meet our community where it was at is what we did. You know, that sounds exhausting. So I have two questions. One, what drew you to this work? And also, how do you sustain yourself in, 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 this, in this demanding time? It's truly uh, exhaustion. It doesn't even begin to describe. I think um, it's been a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what drives me is um, knowing all of the assets that... Um, the Latin community has and and all of the barriers and all the challenges, you know, having grown up in um, a, a, a pretty wealthy neighborhood, although we were not wealthy, um, we lived in um, a housing development, 
um, not you know, great circumstances. And I know, I know what it's like, um, you know, to have all of these challenges. And so having also experienced a lot of racism moving to Boston, that was very um, detrimental to me. Mm-hmm. I, I take passion from all that. I take strength from all of those adversities. Um, and that, and it drives me, young people drive me. And so seeing um, some of the, you know, barriers and challenges that our young people face and knowing all the number of assets that they bring, that really just drives me. Yeah. And that is what has sustained me. And I feel, you know, I'm very lucky. I was able to work from home. Um, many people didn't have that luxury. I didn't have to leave my house. I could have, you know, groceries delivered. I was in a, in a different space and I, cannot forget where I came from and all the challenges and struggles my family faced and seeing, you know, many um, of our families that we work with having, you know, those similar challenges. I just knew that I, I had to get busy and I had to be able to, to do something. And, you know, I was not alone, obviously. Mm-hmm. I thank all my colleagues who did double time. We all worked our normal job. And then there were other layers added because we were not only doing the basic needs, we're running programs for students, but we were also part of all of these um, conversations citywide, which yeah. took another uh, amount of time, but we had to be this. We had to bring voice to the Latinx community and the struggle that was happening. So what, in your work, how does the ethic of care uh, influence your uh, decision-making and particularly uh, your leadership in this, in this organization. And can you give us an example of where uh, that ethic of caring really drove you to a, a particular um, and important decision? That's a big question, but um, yeah, I mean, I think I am, so I'm straight up Latina, like I, that is like front and center. And, and, and with that um, comes a lot of cultural practices. So one of those is, uh, collectivism. And I'm a firm believer, everything that I do, everyone that's ever worked with me knows that that's my style. My style is very inclusive. And I like to provide space for my colleagues, for young people to be able to have a voice in the direction of where we're going, what we're doing. Um, and I also, you know, part of my culture is very, we're very like touchy feely and and I do bring that, that is part of, of who I am. Um, and I'm very empathetic, um, which is not, can also not be the best thing sometimes because I think I might take on too much and I ha- have to, yeah. I have learned over the years as I've gotten older that there's some things I can't take on, you yeah. know? Can you give um, an example? Can you give an example of, of where that, the being too empathic, too engaged, too caring has, has, not worked out the way you you anticipated or would have liked. So many examples. Um, I think uh, we, you know one example is having um, a staff person who was burnt out um, in their job, uh, and so I really work with that staff person to help them to find another place within the organization. Uh, and we're a really small organization, so it, it, it had a lot of repercussions on other like unintended things because of moving that person to that other position, which, of course, because I really cared about that person, I cared about their health, I cared yeah. about what was happening. 
it did, you know, cause some other uh, ripple effects, um, which, you know, I had to deal with. Um, and I think the other, another example is um, that I always want to bring home every young person that is homeless. And, and I have brought young people to live with me. And I realized that that's a wonderful thing. And I'm proud that I've done that. Um, but it also, you know, it has uh, repercussions on my family. I have, you know, other children. And so I really have had to work on those pieces of, of my empathy and what, where I can draw the line and what are the things that I can do. Um, and, you know, they have, it hasn't been anything so ugly, you know, that I would say I would never do that again, but there, but they are things that they, you know, there's a certain amount of energy you have as a human and what you can do. And, and you have to have some boundaries for yourself and for your family. That's a, that's a critical point. It, 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 it's as if when, as you care, but in a leadership role, um, caring and doing from one person may feel like care is being taken away from another. And balancing that, getting the right balance between um, that the system and the individual is an ongoing challenge in, 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 in the work. And, and then as a leader, you know, how do you create a caring organization that also recognizes its limits and very, very difficult and demanding uh, work. So, in, so you have lots of constituents. I mean, this, this brings, that, that brings up that, the, the next logical uh, conversation is about you have lots of constituents, not of all of whom agree or have the same needs. So, and, and, and are difficult to balance. So how, can you give example, who, who, can you share with us who are your constituents? Who, are, who do you see as your major people that you serve and who are engaged in the work that you're doing? And how do you balance though their, their competing demands? Yeah, I mean, I think our major um, constituents are our young people. So, mm-hmm. you know, middle school, high school, college career students that we work with, they're, they're number one. Mm-hmm. Um, our other constituents are the families. Mm-hmm. They, you know, these are children of people. We're not their parents, and we have to we have to recognize that. Um, our other constituents include schools. We work with a lot of schools, um, <clears throat> have really good relationships, and I just we have many other constituents, but I'll use those because those are demonstrate some of the tension pieces. So, mm-hmm. you know parents who want to be very, very involved in um, their young person's life. Of course, I get it. I'm a mom. I want to be very involved. But having a background in youth development, I also understand the stages of youth development and when uh, young people are forming their independence and they kind of need to have a little bit of space. So I think there's a natural tension that happens when, you know, we've had some parents who come in and say, I want my kids check. So we, we pay some some students get paid. We have paid and unpaid opportunities. And for the paid opportunities, we've had um, parents come in and get it. You know, they want their, their child's paycheck and yep. we don't give it to them. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, that is, we, we consider that that's the work of the young person. We're respecting mm-hmm. the young person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, similarly, when there's information, if it's, if it's not something that's dangerous to the young person or to somebody else, we, we cannot share everything um, with the family. So there's definitely like that natural tension that, that happens. And all we can do is work towards um, uh, supporting a more positive relationship. Yeah. I don't want to say that it's not positive because I do think it is, um, but we just work towards like, how can we make, create a more positive 
um, relationship? How do we um, provide training for families so they know like the stages of youth development and like yeah. what's happening? Um, and then I think the natural tension of working in a school. Um, we want the same thing. We have the yeah. same goals, um, but it's a different way of getting there. I think yeah. our tension is that we're very much focused. Of course, we want young people to be um, academically successful, but really we're focused on, on their character, on yeah. who they are, like on their social emotional development mm-hmm. and celebrating all the assets that they bring. And that doesn't always go together. Uh, Can you say more that about doing. how that you're focused on their character development, their personal development as, a, as an organizing principle creates a conflict with both parents and schools, it sounds like, that sometimes that priority uh, may not be shared. Can you give an example of that, particularly with the schools? I think that's something very important for us to think about. Yeah, I mean, I think that when we work with young people, so we we look at things like um, critical thinking. We look at things like how, how are you a better, um, <clears throat> how are you more involved in your community and how does that help you develop character and how does that add to the, to the community and what are the positive things that you bring when you're actually involved in making in identifying problems and helping to make change around those problems. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we often struggle with schools where it is very driven by grades you know, what did you get, where you're at. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, that's important. But for us, it's really important that a young person, first of all, feels proud of who they are. So we really focus on culture. And again, predominantly, we work with Latin youth, but we work with all young people. So we created our own cultural curriculum, which is about exploration and figuring out who you are, whatever that means to Mm -hmm. you, and really viewing that as a strength. And I don't think that many schools get that or understand why is that important because every day that you're walking on the street you get barraged by negative stereotypes about yourself so if you have a very strong understanding about who you are where you come from and you can feel great about it then that you know that does lead to better grades I mean there's a lot of research around that Um, and again the civic engagement piece like being involved I don't think that all parents in schools you know, are looking for their child to be super vocal sometimes. Yeah. And that's what we do. We're, we're working with young people to, to find their voice. And that can sometimes be a little bit of attention with families and with schools. Mm-hmm. When young yeah. people organize within their own schools, which has happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We, 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 want, we want to hear them uh, speak nicely to us about important things that we, we value. But when that doesn't meet their needs. You, you, you suggest you, I want to lift up what I heard as your definition of character or what I hear you talking about character as a combination of strong sense of self, um, clear values about having an impact, a positive impact in the world, the skills it takes to um, take those steps. And it's not just who am I as a being and my understanding of my culture, but what am I going to do with it? How do I serve the community? So is it correct to say that you see character and a commitment to community as linked? They're not separate things, but they, they work together. Yes, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Which is very demanding. So, so somehow um, personal development and, and, and to some degree schools may be at risk for this and their focus on performance and academics. 
maybe more valued than the development of the person, they're not, they think they're preparing people for finding their place in the world, not necessarily preparing people to engage and make the world a better place. And schools don't have that mission. And that's where you step in. Is that a fair understanding of how your organization fits within this ecology? Yeah, I think that's very accurate. And, you know, I would push back and say that I think, I think schools could do both. Um, and honestly, I think we, as out-of-school time, have played a role in academic support, which I don't think that that should be what we're doing. Uh -huh. um, we spend a ton of resources around academic supports for young people um, because they are being failed um, yes. in yep. their school system. And I don't think that should be our role. I would prefer um, that we focus on, you know, all the character development and all of the enrichment uh, pieces, but unfortunately we don't. But I do think both can be done. Yeah. And that's why I do think it's important that um, schools and out-of-school time work very, very closely together mm -hmm. and that all of those pieces are valued. Um, yeah. And that the the character building, the civic engagement should be just as important mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. you can be the smartest person, but if you're a jerk yeah. um, out in the world, you yeah. know, you're going to be a very lonely, isolated Yeah person and we know the effects you know that that has on mental health etc of being isolated etc if you don't know how to work on a team yep um how to love love yep. is huge in our organization yeah it's like yeah fabric of our being so how, how would you as, as a community partner how do you think schools could grow their work around character development civic education um, while, while also addressing the academic needs that you've identified as well. Yeah. How, how do we, how do, how do schools think that through? How would you encourage them to think that through? Um, I think there's a couple avenues. One is you can partner with an out-of-school time organization that does that and you can work together. And we have worked with other schools around different projects for schools that haven't been nervous about that civic engagement piece. You can bring it into the classroom. You can have students work on different pieces, like what's happening in your community, you know, you know, walk around, look around, read the paper, whatever it is. Um, you can work with a partner and you can bring that to light. Um, I think the other pieces in terms of, um, you know, higher education, including that as part of teacher training mm -hmm. and like how important it is to, make sure that you're servicing that side of somebody's soul because yep. it is really important. We know, we know the value and the self-confidence that comes when you're involved in your community and feel like you're actually like making a difference and, and having input. So I think those are like two specific ways things could happen. Yeah. Um, and again, with the partnership, it can out of school time, we've gone into the classroom um, for schools that have been open to that. And we've yep. done like, training on civic engagement and organizing 101 and we worked on something together. So I think there's lots of opportunity for that to happen. So this may be a sound hopeful, but um, on my part, or maybe I'm, 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 well, I believe something's happening. I realize I may not be objective. So I want to get your perspective. So I believe that as we've come to this end of this 30 years, what people call ed reform, which really focused a lot of energy and resources on improving uh, performance in math and English. All very important. So I'm not, I'm not, not suggesting that's not important work and critical work. But sometimes it came at the cost of the guidance counselor, the social emotional work, the time spent on 
helping teachers learn how to care for the kids in their classroom in addition to teach them. Even though we see a lot of evidence in the schools that uh, are successful, like the schools, the people who win the school move prize here in Boston, the investors uh, work, uh, almost all of them have high support. Social emotional learning is one of their foundational principles. I'm thinking we're coming back to re-including that in schools, re-including that in our expectations of schools, of teachers, and also about the community. Am I being optimistic? Or do you see that language shifting, uh, particularly sometimes as a result of the, of the crisis, because we know how many children are coming back to school traumatized, significant loss in um, 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 uh, our abilities to uh, our kids' social skills development, they're behind a year. And people are attending. Am I, am I being optimistic or, am I, or do you see that as well? Not enough, but a, a move. Um, I want to be optimistic with you. Um, I really, I am really hoping to see that. I don't think, I also don't think we have a choice. I don't think that we can just go right back into uh, just academics. Um, yep. My daughter's school that they told me first thing is we're not focusing on academics. We're focusing on the social emotional development and the connections. Um, and as we saw, Lawrence High School is not the only high school where all of these, you know, tensions have happened. So yep. I'm just saying only because they've been in the news, but they're not the only one. And yep. it's, it's very sad that, you know, it's a predominantly Latin community and that's the focus. But that that um, example is because we haven't been in school. So I don't feel like we have a choice. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it does seem like the more that I'm hearing, especially as there's federal funds coming in, that there's a lot of conversation around the mental health. Mental health, it is so real. I mean, I've seen this yeah. on the ground with the young people I work with in my own household, um, that it has had really deep repercussions for our young people. And so I feel like we don't have a choice, but I, ha I feel hopeful that I've heard a lot of educators um, really talking about this and really focusing on like, we need to make sure that our young people are okay and yeah. that they feel connected and they feel part of community yeah. um, and they feel loved and accepted. Yeah, yeah I, I'm hoping that we can begin to identify omnibus measures of wellness so we can see how well we're doing and not doing. You know, again, I, you know, you know, me, you know me, I'm a little bit of a little bit of a dad nerd. And so I like to have, I like to have those ways we can measure it so we can see not, not that, the measurement is all important, but we need we need more information so we can see how well we're doing, where we're doing well, where we're not doing well. Yeah, and with some stories, right? Yeah. So we can do data and do some stories uh, that will tell us where, but I agree with you, um, we kind of need to know. That's why we're good partners, because you, you, you got the stories, <laughs> I'll get the data, and we'll work together. So, so <laughs> Alex, thank you so much for your time, but before you go, I would love it if you could think of, you if there's something you would tell your younger self, because the people, our audience for this podcast are people who are either early on or aspiring to be leaders in their community, either in schools or in agencies like yours. So if you had something you would say to that person, uh, your younger person, remember this or believe this or take this, do this, what would it be? I think I would tell my younger self to not be afraid. Mm -hmm. And I would say to be bolder. Mm -hmm. And I would say to compromise less. Mm -hmm. um, I think that looking back, um, 
you know, being in a in a white supremacy structure model, it has been challenging. Um, but I think that I would tell myself, don't be afraid, be bolder and compromise less. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, I know it's interesting that that that's been a theme and, and some of the other people we've talked to that that kind of, you know, take the risk, do it now. Um, and uh, which which calls on us who are not at the beginning of our careers um, to model it more and support it more. I mean, I think it, I think there's a dual demand. Well, Alex, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate this, and 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 uh, we we love we the work you do is is uh, really central and phenomenal. And and what I what I've always most one of the things I've most enjoyed about your work is how collaborative, how community, as you say, it's a collective idea. It's not my agency is going to come in and protect and save my kids from those bad people over there. It's like, we're here working with a high need, the needs of this population with you. And I think that is just so, such an incredibly wonderful model and certainly something we need more of uh, across, across the country and the world. So thank, thank you. you for, thank you for being that model. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am absolutely pleasure. Thank you for listening to Caring, Character, and Community, the podcast of the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. The development of this podcast is made possible with the generous support from the BU's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development, and a grant from the Kern Family Foundation. Thanks also to Lizzie Barquet for her editorial and production work on this podcast. The music you're, listening, you're hearing is Bluesy Vise by Doug Maxwell, produced by Media Right Productions. I'm Hardin Coleman, and thank you so much for listening.